Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Greetings and welcome to the Games Master Team Championship Finals. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast going through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and they think it's all over. No, no, wait. No, no, there's still one more. No. Yeah, they, they, they think it's you know, in a little bit. It, 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 it is now. It is now. And I am your other Megamongus host for this podcast, Ash versus Megamongus, Luke. Megamongus. <laughs> it's a Megamongus day. <laughs> Say the word. <laughs> this episode aired on the 1st of March, 1994. Mariah Carey is still top of the charts, but we've got a new number one at the box office. It's a laugh riot that's good for this show. Oh, let's get into a celebratory mood for the end of this series. It's Schindler's List. I'd make sure it's known the company's in business. I'd see that it had a certain panache. That's what I'm good at. Not the work, not the work. The presentation. Kielbasa sausage, cheeses, blugger caviar. And of course, who could live without German cigarettes? As many as you can find. Some more fresh fruit. The real rarities, oranges, lemons, pineapples. And in several boxes of Cuban cigars, the best. And dark unsweetened chocolate, not in the shape of ladyfingers. A chunk of chocolate, big as my hands, you sample of wine tastings. 900, no, make it 10 for Wednesday. All this stuff here goes to Madison's factory. I lost a worker. I expect to be compensated. When I saw that this was number one for the last episode, I was just like, oh, God, no. Yeah. Not because it's a bad movie. It's not. It is probably one of the best bits of cinema. Like, not film, cinema. Because, you know, there is that kind of divide. But mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg, as regards his filmmaking career, this is probably the best piece of cinema he's made. It is an extraordinarily good film. It is incredibly impactful, dramatic. It's got an amazing cast. It's amazing cinematography. The entire thing is in black and white. Bar a few key scenes where there is red 
as a very kind of like vibrant color on the screen. It's there for a specific reason. And oh, it is an amazing piece of cinema. But also, we're a fairly lighthearted video game uh, podcast. Oh, I <laughs> and I just, I don't think we're in a position, either of us, to talk about the Holocaust. No, it kind of reminds me a bit. So I'm a big Twilight Zone fan, as, as a lot of people listening to this will know. And I know, in fact, you yourself, Ash, know. And um, the, I've been part and uh, of a community of Twilight Zone podcasts over the years. I was the host of the Twilight Zone podcast for uh, a brief spell, a very, very brief spell. And I was actually also good friends with uh, the two lads who do the Twilight Pone, which was a sort of like a comedy retrospective podcast on the Twilight Zone, just reviewing episode with a very, very funny slant. Were you the Dexter Fletcher of the Twilight Zone podcast? I genuinely was, yeah, for a brief spell. Tom Elliott is like the host of that show. He started it, and it got to a period of time where he was too busy with work. So I was, you know, been listening to the show since day one, and we'd got very friendly over the years. So he handed me the reins. And I so I took over for like only like six or so episodes, and then he picked it back up again. So yeah, I suppose in a way I was the Dexter Fletcher of the Twilight Zone podcast. Although unlike Dexter, I did return because I I go back for like the series, the end of season wrap ups that he does. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, like oh, the Twilight Pain, they got to the episode from series three, Death's Head Revisited, which is about a, uh, a Nazi uh, commander going back to uh, a Dachau concentration camp and sort of walking around, essentially like reliving his glory days in his head, but is then haunted by the spirits of the people that he murdered while he was there. Mr. Schmidt recently arrived in a small Bavarian village which lies eight miles northwest of Munich. A picturesque, delightful little spot, one time known for its scenery, but more recently related to other events having to do with some of the less positive pursuits of man. Human slaughter, torture, misery, and anguish. Mr. Schmidt, as we will soon perceive, has a vested interest in the ruins of a concentration camp. For once some 17 years ago, his name was Gunter Lutze, he held the rank of a captain in the SS. He was a black uniformed strutting animal whose function in life was to give pain. And like his colleagues of the time, he shared the one affliction most common amongst that breed known as Nazis. He walked the earth without a heart. And it is like a really harrowing piece of television. It's very haunting um, and it's, it's really sort of like wonderfully character driven. And this comedy podcast then had to try and sort of review it with a comedy slant. They were like, this is going to be the weirdest episode. I'm not really not sure how we're going to do this, but it is the episode I've listened to the most because they're watching, like, listening to those two squirm their way through it to try and be like, oh, we need to be a bit lighthearted here, but there's nothing to be lighthearted about this, this episode. Why does it still stand? Why do we keep it standing? There is an answer to the doctor's question. All the Dachaus must remain standing. The Dachaus, the Belsons, the Buchenwalds, the Auschwitzes. All of them. They must remain standing because they are a monument to a moment in time when some men decided to turn the earth into a graveyard. Into it they shoveled all of their reason, their logic, their knowledge, but worst of all, their conscience. And the moment we forget this, the moment we cease to be haunted by its remembrance, then we become the grave diggers. Something to dwell on and to remember. Not only in the twilight zone, but wherever men walk, God's earth. I can see where they were coming from. And again, we're talking about this. 
because we really don't know how to talk about Schindler's List. Well, yeah, like, so I am um, uh, I, I, part of a movie marathon club. Some friends of mine from a, a previous job, we get together like, much less regularly now that we're all sort of married and, and some of them have got kids and stuff. But we usually just get together and we'd have a franchise and we just watch all of those back to back. Like we got together and we watched all the Nine Elm Street movies back to back as a marathon. We did all of Friday the 13th. We did all of Halloween, uh, all of the Hellraiser movies. Like we just get together and we do this. And sometimes we'll just pick a director. We did do a Steven Spielberg marathon, starting with Jewel and kind of just sort of working your way up. So you do Close Encounter of the Third Kind and you do Jaws and this and the other. And we sort of like, okay, well, we could do like the first however many films it was, because that's usually like our run that we do. And then um, Chris, part of our group, I've been like, if we pick that number, our final movie is going to be Schindler's List. Do we want to end this movie marathon on Schindler's List? And we're like, ooh, actually, I don't think I do. Could we end on Jurassic Park? <laughs> like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll end on Jurassic Park, I think. Ending on Jurassic Park, definitely the right note. But <laughs> to go back to the actual film, if you're not familiar with what Schindler's List is, Firstly, well done for not being aware of this masterpiece kind of cultural icon of cinema. It is based on a 1982 historical fiction novel called Schindler's Ark, which was written by an Australian novelist called Thomas Keneally. It follows Oscar Schindler, a German industrialist who, together with his wife Emilie, saved more than a thousand mostly Polish Jewish refugees from the Holocaust by employing them in his factories during World War II. It stars Liam Neeson, Ray Fiennes, Ben Kingsley, and it is based on, you know, real historical incidents. There were proposals to make a film about this as far back as 1963. This film had a tremendous impact when it was made in 1993. I can't imagine how it would have been viewed in 1963 because that's less than 20 years after World War II. That would be, I suppose, like making a movie about the World Trade Center bombings now. Which is weird because we've actually already had yeah. at least two <laughs> movies about the World Trade Center. But I suppose in this one it would be, because one of the, the key things about Schindler's List is that it uses actual footage from concentration camps. It's sort of like, it's sort of spliced within the movie. So I suppose it would be like having a World Trade Center movie with actual footage of people jumping out of the windows and stuff. Good 20 years on. But I don't know, have any of the movies that we've had previous to that used that footage? I'll be honest, I don't know because I've not watched them. Yeah. <laughs> I have no desire to, to revisit the, the days around 9-11. Even from all the way over here, living through that once was, was enough. Spielberg became interested in the idea of making this movie when uh, Sidney Scheinberg sent him a book review of Schindler's Ark. Didn't even send him the book. Sent him a book <laughs> review. He's Steven Spielberg. He hasn't got time to read a book. Yeah, send him the one-page brief. But Universal Pictures bought the rights to the novel, but Spielberg... He wasn't sure if he was ready, like if he was mature enough to make a film about the Holocaust. And he originally tried to pass the project on to several other directors before eventually going, OK, I'll make it. It was shot in Poland over 70 odd days. He shot it in black and white and he shot it as a documentary. He used a documentary filmmaking approach, which when you combine with the historical footage that was used as well, it's a heavy film to watch and it will sit yeah. with you for a while i've not watched it in a long time because it's a film i'm very glad i've watched but it's not what i'm going to go to the wall of spielberg films and go it's saturday let's yeah. watch this i'm sure i will watch it again but i can still feel the kind of weight of having watched it once 
and that's that's fine. Uh, the score, unsurprisingly, was done by John Williams. And one of the few brief light moments to do with this film is John Williams watched the kind of the rough edit. And at the end of it, he's like, I, I can't compose for this. I'm not good enough. You need a better composer. And Spielberg apparently said, I know, but they're all dead. Yeah. It felt very weird to laugh when reading about Schindler's List. But I was like, that's probably the best response you can give because it's like, okay, you may not think you're a good enough composer, but any composer that is good enough is no longer around. So, John Williams, pick up the baton. And he did. And go and look up that score. Even if you're not going to watch the film, go and look up some of that score on Spotify. It is some of John Williams' finest. Not necessarily his most iconic because, of course, he is very good at making iconic themes. But from an actual composition point of view, there's a violinist that performs the main theme and it's just it's beautiful. Hmm. Go go and check that out. I think Spielberg had... It was a very emotional shoot for him. It was a very emotional production, a very emotional project, really. He's a Jewish man, so he's had got a very personal connection to this. And, you know, he's had stories from his grandparents about, like, what it was like. And I, I think he, he's even said, like, he cried throughout the entire filming. Like, every single day, just crying at, at what, what they were doing like we said a few minutes ago that he originally just didn't want to take on actually directing the film and tried to pass it off to a number of people brian de palma turned it down to direct it and what actually made spielberg turn around and go okay i'll do it was he noticed that in the aftermath of the berlin wall coming down there was an actual slight rise in neo-nazism and also an increase in media attention on Holocaust deniers. And mm. so that was what kind of gave Spielberg the impetus he needed to, to go out and actually make this film and tell this story. Uh, Sid Scheinberg greenlit the film, but did so on one condition. Make Jurassic Park first. Because he was editing Jurassic Park while he was doing this. Like, if I remember correctly, like there was like an e evening's like of the shoots, he'd be editing Jurassic Park, which feels like a very like, what a weird day that must be. Like a really, really bizarre day. Spielberg said later that he thinks the reason that the condition was make Jurassic Park first was because he knew that once he'd made Schindler's List, he wouldn't be able to go on and direct Jurassic Park. He mm. wouldn't just be able to roll on and do that film. Uh, the film was made for an incredibly low budget, $22 million, partly because, and this is a sentence I can't believe I'm saying, Holocaust films are not usually profitable. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg himself forewent a salary for the film. He wasn't paid for it because he didn't want to be paid what he considered blood money. He also believed the film would flop. It's a hard sell, you know, a really, really tough sell. And it, it, you know, it, it's critical acclaim that it got, I think, really did sort of spur people on to, to go and check it out and, you know, made it the huge success that it was. But on paper a very, very difficult like film to put up on screen and ask people to pay money to go and watch. So everyone was kind of going into this either not thinking they were good enough to tell this story or to score this film or worried that they were basically going to make something that could be a critical and commercial failure. It was critically lauded. It won at the Academy Awards. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematographer, Best Art Direction... There was also nominations for Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Sound, Best Makeup, Best Costume Design. It also won some Golden Globes, but really, what are the Golden Globes? 
when it came to people actually watching it and people turning up to see it, a film doesn't need to be a box office hit to win an Oscar. In fact, a lot of the time, the Oscar winners aren't the box nope, office hits. They're really not. Schindler's List turned in over 300 million in box office receipts. That's a good box office by today's standards. In 1993, that is an amazing box yeah. office, particularly for something that even the filmmaker didn't think it would actually do any business at the box office. But again, that's not why he was making it. It's amazing how much the public turned out to see this film. It resonated, it made an impact. People went to see it. People still see it now. It is shown in schools because when you are teaching about World War II, when you're teaching about the Holocaust, it is very rare that you can actually put a film, like a product of Hollywood out there and go, this is a good teaching aid. That was the first time I saw it. It would have been about 1998 I saw it at school, saw it in religious studies. No jokes, no no, no yucks on this one. But if you haven't seen this film, I would recommend seeing it if you feel you are able to. Yeah, And that's the caveat. Not everyone can watch this because it's, it's hard. Yeah, there's certainly no yucks from us. But I mean, do you know who did provide some yucks for Spielberg what, during the making of it? Who? Robin Williams. Apparently, like, Steven Spielberg has said that, like, Kate Capshaw, his wife, like, he thanked her for, like, rescuing him, like, during the production because, like, it was so hard for him. But also, Robin Williams used to call him up just to tell him jokes, just to try and, like, add some levity into him because there was a profound lack of humor on the set. Oh, bless that man. <laughs> he is so, so missed. And there's a bit of a, uh, a, a Spielberg connection just to kind of, like, round up our movie news because... Jurassic Park is still in the UK box office at this point. It celebrated its 34th week, uh, and it's, it looks like it's about to fall out. It'll be out by the time we, we get to Series 4 again. But it did uh, make £36 million pounds, uh, here in the UK. So Steven Spielberg uh, in the charts twice there. Let's move on to some brighter subject matters. Luke, what do you got? Well, I mean, I, one of them is not a bright subject matter, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, oh, no. I, don't to, I don't want to bring the mood down, but we, I'm going to have to, unfortunately. So Sonic 3 is top of our charts. Not even NBA Jam released on the Mega Drive or the SNES could uh, unseat the Blue Hedgehog, uh, who'd knocked FIFA off previously. And no new releases coming up, but uh, Super Metroid is just around the corner. In fact, it's released on March 19th. It's released in a couple of weeks' time. We're not really going to talk about Super Metroid, so I thought we would have a quick chat about it here. But it's a game that I only really got into much later on in life. Didn't have a Super Nintendo. I think we talked about this with Metroid 2. It was a game that I didn't really understand because I was so used to... It was the explorative nature of it I didn't really get. And I think I had the same thing when I played Super Metroid. And it was it's kind of like later in life that I've really kind of fully appreciated the, the brilliance of that game and how wonderfully atmospheric it is it's got some amazing music it's got just that intro the last metroid is in captivity the galaxy is at peace and then the ship lands and it's raining and there's lightning flashing and oh god i think i said about this when we talked about it before i got the big box the yeah. Met super metroid with the player's guide inside and i just remember i spent oh so much of the weekend probably at least 12 plus hours on Saturday alone, probably a good four or five hours on Friday after school and even more on Sunday. It will always hold a place in my heart as my favorite Metroid game. Some people favor the originals. Some people favor Metroid Prime. For me, Super Metroid 
is just the absolute pinnacle. Yeah, I would agree with that. I really like Super Metroid. For me, it's my king of Metroid games. Uh, as much as I do like the, the Prime series, yeah, Super Metroid is, is absolutely the one for me. And the Fusion ones on the Game Boy Advance were also a lot of fun as well. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I if I am permitted to just bring the mood down ever so slightly, we won't dwell on this because it is the finals of the team championships. We're on to be on to bigger on a, on to brighter things, I should say. Uh, but March first, which is when this episode airs, was also the date of the final performance of Nirvana. Uh, on March third, uh, Cobain would collapse into a coma while in Rome. March eighteenth, Courtney Love would call the police, believing uh, Cobain to be suicidal, and they confiscate guns and ammo from him. And then on April 5th, he killed himself and his body was found three days later on April 8th. Speaking of that RS um, class where we watched in this list, I was a big, big Nirvana fan, huge, huge Nirvana fan. And I, one of the um, lessons that we had or one of the projects that we had was to create your own holiday. And I created Kurt Cobain Day, put this whole thing together. I was like, what would happen on Kurt Cobain Day? It was kind of that sort of thing. And my, um, my RS teacher failed me for that and gave me a, a, an ungraded me for it because Kurt Cobain killed suicide and that was ungodly. Uh, she would not allow me to actually submit it. Wow. <laughs> they released the um, Nirvana Best Of early aughts, I think they released it, uh, which had like the unreleased track of um, Yeah, You Know You're Right, which is a, a fa- it's one of my favorite Nirvana tracks, actually. And they also released Kurt Cobain's journal. Do you remember this? They released like a real like thick hardback of Kurt Cobain's journal. I got that. And like the very first page that it has is just like, like it's essentially a letter from Kurt Cobain said, should I die? I do not want anyone to read this journal. And I suddenly thought, I was like, oh, I don't think I can read this now. Like he's literally told me not to. And uh, and, I, and I read a couple of bits and then I was like, nah, I'm not sure I can. Like I, I wanted, like I would love to go into, dive further into this man and like, uh, and see if I could try and understand him. But yeah, like that, that first page was like, nope, I don't think I can read this. It's so weird that they did publish it despite that thing at the front saying, I don't want anyone to read this. There's a lot of strange things that have been done with Kurt Cobain's intellectual property and indeed his likeness over the years. I'm looking at you, Guitar Hero. That was weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, wasn't it just? That was that was unnecessarily ghoulish. It wasn't like, like the bloody the rock band The Beatles where it was kind of a, a celebration of their music. It was the visage of Kurt Cobain singing other people's songs that's what dave grove took issue with yeah dave and courtney love really took issue with that yeah entirely understandable yeah and I'm, actually i mean i've never been able to mention this on a podcast there's a primus track on the end of antipop called coattails of a dead man there's always like every time i think about it i can hear it in my head on the coattails of a dead man she'll ride she'll ride and it was until recently that someone pointed out you know that song's about courtney love and I was like, is it really? As soon as you started just doing the little recital of the lyrics there, I'm like, oh, this song's about Courtney Love. Yeah, it is. And then you sort of listen to it, like, yeah, she cried in the day, she cried in the night, she cried loudest when someone was near, whether crying for him or cried for herself, the bigger the camera, the bigger the tear. Most folks agreed she was living in a hell and publicly she showed her pain and never once was there a thought for herself and the ever-growing slices of fortune and fame. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Anyway, should we talk about Jet from Gladiators? Yeah, let's um, <laughs> let's pick ourselves up a bit. Bloody hell. <laughs> because we've been saving this, because obviously this is the last issue of Games Master magazine that we'll really be covering during this season. And we've already had an appearance by the Games Mistress here on Games Master, but we've got an interview with the Games Mistress or with Jet from Gladiator or with 
Diane Udell. And it's kind of confusing because they're addressing her as kind of all three all three of them yeah like the 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 article says like interview the game's mistress jet diane udale <laughs> in the same box it's like three faces of foley <laughs> also i do love that um clip art font that they're using as well for the games master interview header oh it's proper microsoft office word art as well yeah isn't it just I'm actually really glad I was able to pick up these Games Master magazines because not only have they been an invaluable resource while we've been going through this series, this is one of the issues that is missing from the online scans. Oh, because really? when I wanted to send you like the interview over so you could have the text, I actually had to try and take photos of the page without the light reflecting off the paper. And it was more challenging than I want to admit. <laughs> Very shiny paper in this magazine. Mm. And they just start with, OK, then are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Games Mistress obviously isn't your real name, so what is? Diane, Patricia, Udale. Did you know her middle name was Patricia? I don't think I did, actually. I did know that she was a teacher, though, which is what they sort of go on to next, where, you know, like, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm a teacher. I don't like the Games Mistress. My subjects are fitness, physiology, and nutrition, funkily disguised for schools. I also produce and choreograph shows for youth. I also play the flute and sing. Then, of course, I have my own personal fitness routine. That I did know. I did know that she was a teacher. And then they go on to ask is, how did she go on from being sweet little Diane Udale, teacher, to Jet, and then on to Games Mistress? And the interesting thing in her answer to me is that she kind of puts Diane Udale in quotation marks. <laughs> like it is an actual separate person. She is the three faces of holy here. And now they jump to the meat of this by going, okay, what do you make of this newfangled video game scene? Yeah, because like a lot of this is Diane kind of talking about how like she doesn't really play a lot of games. Like she goes to she opens up a lot of fitness stores and there's arcade machines there. And then she goes, but, you know, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about the video game scene, but I don't know a whole lot about it. So they're like, are you saying that the games mistress doesn't know a lot about games? And she goes, well, yes, yeah, she does, because the researchers at Hewland do all the work. <laughs> hey, Fabe, the fourth wall, <laughs> Luke, the fourth wall has been absolutely destroyed. It's, but then again, like we talk about this sort of like, who really is this person? Because she said, the game's mistress does because Hewlin do the work. Diane, though, doesn't really get that time to really go deep into it. That's not me, like, reading like, oh, this is what Diane's saying. That is, like, that is literally Diane Udale's quote. Diane, though, doesn't know, doesn't have the time to do this. I also just realised she's talking about herself in the third person. The character of Diane, is that what she's talking about? Like the, the construct of Diane Newdale? Or is she doing this interview as Jet from Gladiators? That's the only person she hasn't really referred to in the third person <laughs> by this point. They do ask what machine she owns, and apparently she's a Game Gear owner. Yeah, oh, well, she's doing a lot of travelling, I suppose. And she's playing Aliens on it at the moment, which I'm assuming would mean Alien 3. That's what I would assume, yeah. It's actually not a bad game on the Game Gear. It suffers like most Game Gear games do from blurry screen, but it's a pretty good game. Also an interesting choice. I would not have put her down as playing Alien 3 on the Game Gear, so genuinely surprised me with that one. Although, is it Jet playing Alien 3? <laughs> is it Diane Udale playing Alien 3? Or is it the game's mistress? Yeah, we don't really know. Like, we, maybe we should have asked all three of them, like, of what their favourite games to play on the Game Gear are. Or maybe uh, Diane doesn't own a Game Gear. It's only Jet that owns one. Di actually, Diane Udale has a Game Boy, and the game's mistress has an Atari Lynx. God, the fighting over the AA batteries must be awful. 
They then ask her what sort of game she likes to play, and she says she's not really into shoot 'em ups. She prefers adventure style games to almost anything else. But when she played Lethal Enforcers on the show, that gun sure felt good. Yeah, it's quite a wild answer there, isn't it? To basically be like, yeah, the challenge that I do, I don't like those games. <laughs> but I did enjoy holding a plastic gun. So may- maybe that's meant to be a bit of a knob gag. I don't know. But they kind of talk about sort of like what, you know, what we're going to be doing next. And she does get to talk about perhaps this will be the fourth persona that we can introduce into this interview because it's the singer, the artist of Diane Udale. So we just did a bit of research because neither of us had heard of this album that apparently she was working on. But a quick shifty around Discogs revealed that the album existed and was released in 1994. And I'm guessing by the fact that it's not on her Wikipedia or mentioned anywhere else, did bollocks all business. Despite the fact that um, they're using something to sell that album on the cover. I've managed to find the the radio mix of the track I Don't Know from 1994. I found it on YouTube. No one of the tracks, like if you search for No Covers, which is the name of the album. I mean, I've just listened to the track. It's very unremarkable. It is very 1994. It's not terrible, you know, or anything. It's not like it's an outwardly bad song. It's not blobby or anything like that. But it is, yeah, unremarkable. Like, I've already forgotten that I've heard it. I'll be honest, the biggest takeaway I've got from it is just by that single. And maybe some of the songs on the album are different. She doesn't sound entirely convinced. Yeah. Like, like in her performance... It's not that she sounds like she's phoning it in. She just doesn't sound like she's entirely believing that she's doing it, which is a shame. Yeah. I imagine that the song itself, while still being very 90s, might be a bit better if there was a bit more conviction behind the vocals, I guess. But yeah, so today we learned. Genuinely did not know that she actually had a recording career because I remember reading this beforehand and going, oh, guess that never appeared. I was wrong. <laughs> But she goes on to talk about future projects and future career moves. Apparently, the BBC have been training her as a presenter over the past year. She was doing a fitness slot on Mark Curry's program and was asked to do a week of Take 5 on BBC Radio 5 while Michaela Strachan was on a well-earned break. And she says it was great to be me, Diane, <laughs> over the airwaves. Now, hang on. We've got Diane Udale. We've got Jet. Mm-hmm. We've got the games mistress. Now, Diane Singular, is this now four? Well, yeah, I wonder if Diane is the person. Diane Udell is a construct. That is a TV personality. Diane is a... But Diane is the actual person behind Diane Udell. And so Diane is just getting to be herself on the radio. She doesn't have to be Diane Udell, the TV presenter slash singer. She talks about like how she'd like to have another another year of Games World, um, which I think she actually does get, you know, like, you know, what she would like to do next. And then they talk a little bit about her doing unusual things and that costume. Now, on the subject of unusual things, she said, well, if you can call having to do a scene in a bath with a dog eating chocolate and trifle unusual, then yes, I suppose I have. The decadence was fun, though. (laughs) That's a very 90 sentence, isn't it? Like That could have been on the word. I'll do anything to get on TV, me. It just made me think of hedonism bot from Futurama. Oh, (laughs) 
And then on the subject of the costume itself, Dan said, it's nothing like the original design. That was much more sexy, over-the-top school teacher type image with a mortarboard hat complete with a whip. I had to be a little careful about how I'm perceived on TV, so we had to tone it down a bit. The whip went and the costume was redesigned to how it looks now. It's still made out of rubber, but I don't think that anyone will make a fuss about that. The whip was definitely too much. I've tried to make her into a favorite school teacher type thing, stern, with that little twinkle in her eye that everyone likes. I mean, favorite school teacher, probably. Well, they kind of talk about this. So they've got like lots of images of jets on uh, throughout this interview, as you might imagine. This is a two page thing. There's lots of pictures and then oddly just a frame of lethal enforcers with sort of really no context of, of why that is there. It's a games magazine, that's the context. Oh shit, we better have something game related because none of the photos are of her on Games Master or of her on Games World or anything to do with it. There's some Gladiator promo shots and also some promo shots I'm imagining from her fitness career and bodybuilding. And the quote that they've got uh, underneath one of these fitness images is, I can't recall any of my school teachers looking like this. They look like members of the Russian Women's Olympic shot-putting team. Nice pendant on the chain too, I noticed. Not that I was looking or anything. Come to think of it, most of the male teachers at my school looked more feminine than the female ones. New age teachers and all that. And then there's this running gag throughout this that the pictures of Jet from Gladiators keep going missing. And he keeps asking them to be put back on his desk, presumably because all of the other staff members are masturbating to. All the other staff members were masturbating to them, I suspect... More than a few people that bought this magazine were also doing the same because, dear Lord, there is a lot of thigh on display in at least one of these pictures. Yeah, because considering as well that she was like, I've got to be careful with how I'm perceived on television. There's not leaving a lot to the imagination there, Diane, or Jet, or Games Mistress, whichever one I'm talking to. I mean, also, I suppose this isn't television. This is a mag. So there we go. (laughs) It's like an early copy of Zoo, this. We round things off with a bizarre question of, Dexter Fletcher, is he cool or what? And this is her answer, verbatim. Dexter, cool. I imagine he was. Whatever we've seen on him on Games Master, I reckon Dexter was all right. I still think he is, going by what I see of him on the interview circuit whenever he's got a film out. He seems slightly grumpy now, but that, you know, he's of an age where being grumpy is his God-given right. But he seems pretty cool. I like yeah, Dexter. I, th- I, I think re- he's, yeah. I rewatched Rocket Man the other week and I enjoyed it even more this time round. And all the way through it, I'm thinking, I've just finished talking about that guy for 26 episodes. And now I'm watching a film that he made. I just like the answer because it is Dexter, question mark. C O O O O O O L L L L L. Cool. So, not the most probing interview we're going to get, I suppose. No. But it was a nice excuse for them to print some nice pictures of Jet from Gladiator and or Diane Udale and or the game's mistress and or however many other personas there may be in play at that point in time. Yeah, I suppose the only other thing to, to note from this is its final line where it's got a picture of, of uh, Jet from Gladiators with the caption, who knows, maybe Games Mistress will take over from Dexter in the next series of Games Master. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> nice little fun magazine feature to round up the last issue we'll be looking at for season three. Plus, I think we needed that levity after all the Schindler's List and Kurt Cobain chat. We couldn't really avoid either of them, but man. <laughs> Rough week. Rough week indeed. Here 
we go. The game's lost the team championship final, the moment we've all been waiting for, where three teams are battling out for some of the most mega prizes on television. Right, here we go. It is the final of the team championships. It's the finale of Series 3. It's the final episode with Dexter Fletcher as our host. It feels feel like a quite monumental episode that we're tackling here. It is, and it also occurred to me that this is the first episode where it's really felt like a final episode. Series yeah. 1 ended kind of like with a... Eh? Like, like we had some good moments at the end of Series 1. Yeah. We had Paul Gannon, you know, mm-hmm. that was a great moment. End of Series 2, of course, the games rig exploded. But Series 3, because of the team championships, it's been building. Yes, that's exactly it, yeah. It's something you and I have talked about actually with series one and series two that the final episodes didn't really feel like finales although like you know the um the final challenge we got of series two was mortal Kombat, and that really felt like this is a bit of a look into the future right so that kind of like had a bit of a end of series vibe to it but series one mm. didn't kind of have that this really does feel like end of the school term this is an end of series finale and it is that you know for all the faults that the team championships have had that is a direct result of the team championships having an end point and having something that we've been building towards. It did make it quite exciting. Yeah, it really did, didn't it? Watching the episode, I was like, I'm really quite into this. And, and I'll be honest, I, you know, there was a point where I thought we'd be excited for this episode because it means it's the end of season three and we're done. <laughs> yeah. But I genuinely don't know how I feel about this. I'm actually a bit sad. Not Mm. because I'm not looking forward to Series 4. I am absolutely looking forward to tackling Series 4. But because it was kind of cool to have the teams and have it building up to the semifinals. And now we're here for the final. And yeah, I'm going to miss it. I already know some of our listeners are not going to miss it. Some people have changed their opinions. Others have doubled down, and that's fine. Yeah, I think some people are very much looking forward to us getting on the roller coaster and going straight down because they are. <laughs> they're sick and tired of Games Master and Dexter Fletcher and everything. There was a part of me that was like, I, I was actually really hyped for this as a final. And because there's no review zone, there's no consultation zone, there's no celebrity challenge, it is all just team championship stuff. It's funny that like I think one of my big criticisms I had about the team championships in the first episode we did was like I'd have axed the consultation zone and I'd probably axed the celebrity challenge as well and just focus on it. So we're now at the final and that's the point that they've done it. It's also worth noting as well that this is the final episode of series three and it's also the first episode where they've actually fixed the levels between Dave and Dex on commentary. It's the only episode of this where it's like, we're actually going to lower decks ever so slightly in the mix. So they're not just constantly talking over each other. And I thought, well, it's about time that you worked out that was a, something you could do in post. It's a bit fucking late, but I'm glad that you realized that at some point. A for last minute effort. <laughs> and this is what the hottest team will be taking out an Amiga 32 bit. A Philips CDI interactive. It looks like fun. And then we've got the Atari Jaguar looking mean and moody. And finally, the PC with real magic card to go to a cause of their choice. Not only that, we've also got a special limited edition diamond-encrusted Games Master Golden Joystick. But anyway, Dex welcomes us to the finals. Three teams battling out for some of the most mega prizes on televisions. The CD32. Ooh. Ooh. The Philips CDI. Yeah. <laughs> the Atari Jaguar. Hmm. A PC with a real magic card. 
which we have said pretty much since the start of this, this is the best prize, and it's the one they have to give away. <laughs> Plus, Luke, try not to get too excited, a special limited edition diamond-encrusted Games Master Golden Joystick. That genuinely is so cool, because each of the winners gets one, right? So there, that means there are only three of these. Like, there are lots of people out there that have Games Master Golden Joysticks. Yeah, we've actually seen them crop up on eBay and people have offered to sell their version. These three lads have got the most unique of Games Master Golden Joysticks that win this. I think that's, that's quite cool. I do wonder, are they actually diamond encrusted or did they get some plastic costume jewellery and basically bejazzle yeah. them? Oh, I mean, there's three of them. They're definitely not diamond encrusted. If it was one, I'd have maybe made the argument that, yeah, but I think because it's three, they're probably just like little chipped out, like the jewels you get on troll dolls. It's yeah. basically just that, that's all it is. Also, I just realised it wouldn't be bejazzle because joystick, it's the euphemism. <laughs> it would be... Vercockled? Vercockled. <laughs> Vercockled. That's what it is now. <laughs> you even dream about beating us and you better wake up and apologise. Essex bad boys, the Mega Maniacs take games playing so seriously, they even have their own coach. Ain't nobody gonna beat my boys. Yeah. yeah! Captain Russell Benson's main interests in life are chips and his weekly dose of Star Trek. Live long and prosper. But Russell's real love in his life is his girlfriend Louise. Ah, and his ambition is to marry her. Next up is big boy Rob Cox. He's the oldest of the players at a decrepit 20 years old. His hobbies include swimming and eating pasta. And when he grows up, he wants to be just like Clint Eastwood. Hmm. Question is, do you feel lucky? Or do you, punks? Last up, we have Stuart. Would you oh. lend this man a fiver bovis? Stuart loves the energetic things in life, such as sports and your good old raver. And if he comes back in another life, he'd like to come back as a uh, bouncer from Neighbours. Mega Maniacs. Word. But here is something that we get that's, I thought, really cool. We get video packages for the three teams. And I, I think one of the criticisms that Series 3 has had, and it was actually one of the bits of feedback that we'll get into on the Series 3 wrap-up next week, is someone who's already sent theirs in that said, this show would have benefited, or the team championships would have benefited from the Games World formats, where teams would have been given a chance to get over their personalities. And it doesn't quite work because you only meet them, you know, twice before this point. And there were so many teams. I've like forgotten everything about all of them. But here we get these video packages that tells you, here's who the players are. Here's what their interests are. Here's what their favorite games are. Here's something a bit weird about them. And then they get to do their cringy introduction or something. Whereas like, if you beat us in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. It's not peak wrestling promos time, is it, really? <laughs> it's not Randy Savage levels. I mean, that there that you just kind of semi-quoted, that's the Mega Maniacs who are the first team that we're introduced to. And they, they're taking this shit so seriously that they've got their own coach. It's one of their dads, right? With a towel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's going to beat his boys. <laughs> Although they did become my favourite team and the team that I wanted to win because Russell likes chips and Star Trek. So he seems like my kind of lad. Chips and Star Trek, but his real passion in life is his girlfriend. Uh, a girl? A girl. But also, <laughs> surely he should be bigging up the games as his real passion in life. You know, his real passion in life is time with his joystick. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we find out that Rob, who's the oldest player that we have here at a decrepit 20 years old. Literally dead, Luke. <laughs> literally dead at this point 20 what is 20 that's a midlife crisis period 
Well, do you remember we had that lad on earlier in the heat that was 35? And they were saying, like, oh, well, he's way past the hill now. So if they thought that 20 years old was decrepit, what did they, what did they really think of that 35-year-old? They probably assumed that necromancy was involved. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, cocoon, it's like Cocoon, basically. Yeah, yeah. He was actually a de-aged Wilford Brimley. <laughs> Any opportunity to bring up the Wilf. I was going to say, we'll always find a way to bring up Brimley on this show. And Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm so glad Danny DeVito wasn't in Cocoon. That's an arse I don't need to see climbing out of a swimming pool. Uh, so anyway, he likes swimming in pasta and wants to grow up to be Clint Eastwood. And then Stuart is quite the lad here. He likes sports and raves and his big goal in life is to be a dog yeah he wants to be bouncer but apparently his middle name is would you lend this man a fiver i love this idea because they do like their like spiel be like we're the mega maniacs word oh my god man it's, it's so lame can it get any lamer well kinda yeah kinda we're the elite bro we are the best and we'll prove it when we beat the rest Football Crazy Elite Real from Archbishop Grimshaw in Birmingham. Team captain Matthew Ward loves football and Mario Kart, so naturally he wants to be a journalist. Second is Liam Thomas. Liam's most exciting moment is appearing on Games Master. He supports Liverpool and his ambition is to make loads of dosh. That'll do nicely. Our final member is Ashton Love. He just loves hard men Ryu and Arnie. I'll be back. But in his lighter moments, he likes to settle down with a nice bowl of ice cream. Mega Maniacs and Hummerhawks. All they ever do is talk. Because it's your favourite team and mine, the Elite Three from Birmingham. <laughs> I mean, they've not been my favourite team in this competition for many reasons. Now, I know I kind of had a bit of a turn on them in the semi-finals. They were a bit more humble. But then I get this video here and it's Liam that winds me up the wrong way because he looks so embarrassed by the whole thing. Like, he's got a look on his face. He's like, I don't want to be doing this. This is dumb. You're all dumb. This whole thing is dumb. And anyone who does a podcast about this in nearly 30 years' time is also dumb. I mean, he might have a point on that last one. <laughs> but yeah, Matthew loves football and Mario Kart. That's nice and simple. Liam's most exciting moment is apparently appearing on Games Master. And then there's Ashton. He loves hard men. Yeah, and it's weird as well because, like, they've got, like, video footage behind them, right? And he's like, he loves uh, Ryu and Arnie. So like when they do Ryu, they show Street Fighter. When they show ter- um, Ar- they say Arnie, they show Terminator 2. But when they show Street Fighter, both players are Ken. I'm like, guys, that's a proper open goal there. You put Ryu on screen. I honestly reckon they were just trolling at that point. <laughs> but then he does a terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation while wearing a really ill-fitting leather jacket. <laughs> now... I had leather jackets when I was a teenager because I wanted to look cool and I didn't because mm-hmm. most teenagers, you can't really wear a leather jacket properly. I'm only at a point now where I've got a leather jacket and I put it on and I'm like, aging Fonz hippie, I'll take that. But it fits me. It fits my shoulders because to wear a leather jacket properly, you need the shoulders. Most teenagers don't have the shoulders. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've written in my notes here. He looks like me directing my first film at the age of uh, 21. I bought myself a leather jacket from a um, like a charity shop because I was like, well, I'm going to direct the movie. I need to look the part. So I bought myself a leather jacket and it was it, it didn't fit me. And it looked very, very silly on me. Oh, you went full Kevin Smith, didn't you really? Yeah, I mean, it was not like a long one. It was just like a, it was basically the only leather jacket I could find. 
and it was brown and it did not fit me and it was too big and yeah it made me look like more of a child than i was what film did you direct i, I directed a uh, short zombie movie it's about 45 minutes long called the good the bad and the undead is it available anywhere it's not i don't think i've got a copy of it um what oh, i know well so we, we went through a bit of a, a tumultuous thing with it so like our editor he'd finished it took us ages to edit the first <laughs> thing and we finally finished it and then his computer like crashed to the point where like the whole thing was lost so all we had was like a sort of like pre-render version and so we then tried to like re-edit it off the back of some of that because we also lost a lot of the footage we then managed to get together another cut but really the only version i've ever seen of it was a dvd that was then transferred to another dvd like if you put it into a DVD player, you had to use like you had to press one of the zoom buttons to make it fit the screen. Oh, uh, and I think that pretty much was one of the only copies. I think I, I'm pretty sure one of the actors has like the best copy of it. It's my friend of mine called Robin. I should message him and see if he still has it. Absolutely, mate. Because I, no, no, no hint of irony. I desperately want to see a zombie movie that you made. Oh, it's it's not good. I can tell you that much. The trailer for it's online. I need to make a note. And this bit's staying in. What was it called again? <laughs> uh, the, the Good, the Bad, and the Undead. I think our tagline for it was something like two cops, two criminals, and a school full of zombies. Okay, where were we? One redeeming fact on Ashton, steering ourselves back to the team championship final, is he does like a nice bowl of ice cream. You can't fault a kid that. Absolutely not. No. What's your uh, ice cream flavour of choice? Oh, now are we talking regular kind of ice cream or fancy like kind of weird flavor ice cream because i've got a choice for both i was gonna say let's go with both normal ice cream a nice vanilla like mm -hmm. literally just a nice vanilla like maybe where it's posh enough to have the little flecks of vanilla in it you know yeah nice nice vanilla maybe a clotted cream vanilla but just sticking with the vanilla flavor but for the fancy one because cherry garcia is not widely available over here anymore damn you ben and jerry's I'm going to go with a flavour that is just as difficult to get hold of most of the time, which is Sainsbury's Taste the Difference Mince Pie Ice Cream. Ooh. Yeah, it's got mincemeat in it. It's got chunks of pastry in it. Now, I know we're not necessarily going to see eye to eye on the mince pie <laughs> thing, but it's got cinnamon as well. And, of course, because it's a mince pie ice cream, you normally have cream on a mince pie, so it's a really rich, creamy base. Mm. And they do it They do it once a year, obviously, for Christmas. But the best thing is in January, when they knock all the tubs down to two quid each. <laughs> I don't like cream. I don't like the taste of cream. So, uh, like, I don't... I can't eat butter. Butter, like, makes me physically ill. Um, I have to have margarine. So I tend to get, like, if I'm getting ice cream from, a, like, a supermarket or something, I tend to get cheap ice cream because it doesn't taste like cream that way. But I would go for, like, I've, I currently am on a vanilla kick at the moment because I do vanilla with a uh, spoonful of peanut butter Ooh. and um and a, a, a like a drizzle of maple syrup or something to be like otherwise the peanut butter can be quite claggy but i also like a neapolitan mm. um from a supermarket love that but if i'm going to an ice cream shop mint choc chip call me a basic bitch but i bloody love a mint choc chip ice cream what's your stance on sorbet um, I don't mind. I mean, I quite like a sorbet, actually. I mean, I've been to a, a posh restaurant uh, once, and they, it was so posh, they gave you a palate cleanser. 
And um, I know, right? And I got a cucumber sorbet, and that was delightful. I also quite like sorbet. Not sure where I'd stand on the cucumber sorbet, though. That's a bit, um, it's a bit weird Ooh. for me. It's refreshing, though. So refreshing. It's like I love that cucumber tonics, my favorite to add to gin, because it's got a really lovely, refreshing kick to it. I think the issue I'd have is any restaurant that would serve something like a cucumber sorbet. I wouldn't feel at home there. I'd feel like I was at a charity dinner for me. <laughs> Honestly, when we were there, we were there for my um, my in-laws. I think it was the. I think it might be my father-in-law's 60th. And like you, I didn't feel like I belonged in there. And my wife turned to me and said, "You do realise you're getting more scouse as the night goes on when you're talking to the waitstaff." I was like, am I really? She's like, anytime the waitstaff come over, I'm like, oh, cheers, la, yeah, take me plate there, will you? Apparently, I was just like, I was trying to reject it. <laughs> so I was like, I need to make sure they know that I don't belong here. Your body your body was rejecting the, the venue. <laughs> like like your antibodies were, were getting in, like kind of like your white in. blood cells and all that stuff. But anyway, Ashton says they're here on business, not pleasure. Steering yes. the conversation back to Games Master once again. And the Mega Maniacs and um, Humberhawks, all they ever do is talk. Good line, not good delivery. Oh, it was all <laughs> horrendous delivery. Your delivery was great. Oh, thanks, mate. Tell you what, we should go back in time and get you to do the deliveries because you know what you're doing. The basketball crazy Humberside Hawks will go to lower soft school in a full team. First up, team captain Sam Thompson used to collect teddy bears, but now he likes to cook. He's got 14 cats and one sister Marnie. And his hero is Michael Jordan. Next, Matthew Evans, or Flopsies is known to his mates. He hates doing the Ubering, but loves washing the dishes. Strange boy, and his ambition is to be a copper. Our last boy in blue is Paul Steele. Paul's favourite game is NBA Jam. His ambition is to be a fireman, but at the moment, he's just looking for a girlfriend. As he met Marnie. Seen the rest, now watch the best. But speaking of the Humberside Hawks, they're up last, and apparently they're basketball crazy. Yeah, they're all 14 years old as well. And uh, Sam, uh, I, I bless him, used to collect teddy bears. I love this little thing because he's on screen doing like the big like waving his hands, being like, no, don't tell the people this. It's really fun. But now he likes to cook, which I'm like, right on, kid. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's the fact that he's got 14 cats. That's a lot of cats. I'm not sure I believe that. That's too many cats. Actually, I mean, you say that, but my uh, kid down my road, his mum used to have 14 cats. Not maybe not 14, but she had like upwards of like t between 10 and 15, I would say, cats in the house. Bloody hell. He's also got a sister called Marnie and his hero is Michael Jordan. Yes, more on Marnie uh, in a little bit. Matthew turns out has got a nickname, which is Flopsy. And he's a man after my own heart as well, because he doesn't like hoovering, but does like washing up. First of all, it's vacuuming. Hoover is a brand. But secondly, I also much prefer to do the washing up than I do the vacuuming. I don't like doing either, but I like to do the vacuuming because, you know, like if you haven't vacuumed for a while, but there's a satisfaction where you run the vacuum over the carpet and you see the colour shift where it's pulled mm -hmm. up the dirt or when you go around the skirting board with the yeah. attachment. That's satisfying. It is satisfying, especially if you get something that's like quite big on the carpet and you can hear it rattling up the tube. And into the into the holder. Was that a penny? <laughs> Was it a diamond? Did I accidentally suck up the Dead Sea Scrolls? Also, we've been recording for 23 minutes. 
because this is our <laughs> second session trying to record the final episode of Games Master. We haven't even got past the introductions. We haven't got to the first fucking challenge yet. Anyway, Paul's favourite game uh, is NBA Jam, and he wants to be a fireman, which is nice as well because his mate Matthew wants to be a copper. So, you know, they got that very much in common. And he also wants a girlfriend. Have you met Marnie? Ooh, that's playing with fire. Mm-hmm. But also playing with fire. Have you heard their catchphrase? You've seen the rest. Now meet the best. The best is us. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, to be honest, that's probably the best of the three catchphrases that we've had in this final. Uh, yeah. But it scans, it passes, and it's an easy rhyme. There's nothing forced. But they reckon they'll win it easy. They did not sound convinced by that at all. Neither did I, really. But... Uh... <laughs> Well, let's find out how they get on in our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? The first test of skill I've selected for our would-be champions is on the futuristic Cybermorph, the Atari Jaguar. Our contestants have two lives to collect 18 diamond-shaped pods dotted through the interstellar valley through which they must carefully guide their spacecraft, avoiding the various obstacles in their path. And the team who has the least pods remaining uncollected after 45 seconds, will be the vector. As usual, I'll award five points to the winners, two to second place, and zero for last. Let the games begin. Where did you learn to fly? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, where did you learn to fly? <laughs> oh no. Oh. Oh, the problem is, is because the prizes are like, you know, the Atari Jaguar and the Philips CDI and all this. We've got to play the games that are on there. We're kicking things off with Cybermorph on the Atari Jaguar. We've got two lives to get 18 diamond shapes. Fewest remaining will win the challenge. And um, you would, you know, Dex tells us like these are the games of the future. We played the present in the heats. We've played the past in the semifinals. Now it's time to play the future. But really, it's only these first two challenges where that applies. Because in the second half of the show, it's games that they've picked themselves. Which I think, for the sake of this final, is a very good move. Same here. Because this game, it's not quite a dog egg. It's almost a dog egg. The second game is a big steaming oh, pile of dog crap. eggs. Well, we'll get to that, yeah. We'll get to that. I mean, we've already covered Cybermorph quite a bit in the past. It was received well by some, not received well by a lot of others. And it was one of the few Atari Jaguar games to have a sequel. It certainly did, yeah. For the Jaguar CD. Which is remarkable. A, it got a sequel, and B, the Jaguar CD got a game that came out. Yeah, I don't even get to do my, hey Luke, guess what <laughs> on this game? Because would you, Adam and Eve it, they actually got the bugger out. Cybermorph on the Atari Jaguar. You may remember it in the heats, we went for all new games, and then in the semi-finals, we played it out on some classics. Now, in the first part of the final, we're going to go for games on the future. That's right, the first one is Cybermorph on the Atari Jaguar. Now, this man here is Dave Perry, our game guru. He's been my resident co-commentator with me throughout the series. Dave, do you want to just say something about the championship? For the people well, the standard of games playing in this championship has been excellent, but most importantly, the camaraderie between the teams has been exemplary. Yeah. People might be knocking video games, at the moment, but don't let them knock the video gamers. That's right, come on, we want to see some brilliant and exciting challenges, and that's what you're going to see on the Games Master Team Championship Final. Quick note, as though, on Dex, though, because he introduces Dave Perry here as his game guru. Yeah, right? Larry? Larry, <laughs> are you there? <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed the interplay between Dave and Dex in this final episode, because the whole thing is, you know, it's a celebration, this is the end uh, of this, but it's, you know, 
we'll probably find out once the book comes out in November whether or not Dex knew that this was the last time that they were going to do this together. But because like it's been these two for the last 16, 12 episodes or so, however long we've been doing the team championships for, feels like forever, I'll be honest with you. And it's like this, it feels like an end of an era for them. And like, I, I think Dex is like genuinely appreciative of everything that Dave has done as his co commentator. But Dave also, you know, is a very proud uh, games player in all of this. And he talks about the standard of games playing. And it's like, you know what? People at the moment are really knocking video games, but don't let them knock the gamers. I mean, they were really knocking video games. And they also really were knocking the video gamers, you know. But yeah. I did appreciate this. And I, the energy I got from this was last day of summer term. That's exactly it. Yeah, I even said end of school term because that's what I got as well. Yeah, it, everyone's a little bit punch drunk and demob happy. We've got Rob from the Mega Maniacs. He's going to go first. Dave, tell us about Rob. He's probably his team's weakest player. So it could be a tactical move to put him forwards or it could be a mistake. And Rob from the Mega Maniacs is up first. And apparently he's their weakest player. So I guess they're putting him out to sacrifice first. I think it's really funny because Dave's comment was, people are knocking games, but don't knock the gamers. Anyway, first up, Rob, he's the weakest player of this lot. It's like, oh, you just said don't knock the gamers, Dave. Come on, man. Hey, thank God he wasn't a girl. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the thing. I really liked what Dave said at the beginning of this. And then I just remembered some of the comments we've had from him. And oh, he's an enigma, isn't he? Isn't he just? <laughs> it's a hard one to get a read on. But anyway, like Rob's playing here. Of the three, I think he's the medium player. I think he is the one that is the most average when playing this. He's a bit erratic at times, but he has some form of control. Like he blows up with five seconds left on the clock. So he was never going to get any more pods really. And he misses like a few here and there. Like he misses one like immediately. And he ends up with 10 pods remaining, but it didn't feel like the worst playing possible. No, I mean, we don't really have much to compare him against because one, he's the first challenger and two, we've not had this game in the form of a challenge. But when you compare it to, say, the Star Wars Celebrity Challenge oh, a few yeah. episodes ago, he spends far less time colliding with the kind of walls of the chasm. Oh, yeah. He does not get the green lady asking where he learned to fly. Where did you learn to fly? Not often, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, he does. Spoilers, they all do at yeah. some point. That that audio clip, I mean, it's one of the only audio clips in the bloody game, but it definitely <clears> gets heard throughout these challenges. You're right, he's the medium player and 10 tied pods remaining, and that therefore sets a bar which Ashton has to try and beat just to know that he can comfortably stay in no matter what. Apparently, he's a cool customer who's not here for pleasure. Yeah, Dave said, like, I misjudged him in the semi-finals where I said that he was the weakest player. He was the weak link of the group in the Street Fighter Challenge. But you know what? He absolutely demolished it. And I was completely wrong on that. Uh, what I like about Ashton's playing here is that he is way more cautious than the other two are. I think that's a much smarter move. Like he's stopping and he is shooting enemies ahead of him. So he's not just going to ram into them and take down any of his life force. It does mean he is slower than Rob, but I think his caution pays off because he ends up with nine pods remaining, just about. Yeah, he just takes pole position, but it means no matter what at this point, he's getting some points for his team. It could be five, it could be two. Mm -hmm. What he walks away with will depend upon how Matthew does. Dave, tell us about it. Well, Matthew didn't win any of his challenges in the previous heats. Yeah. Maybe tonight's the night for Matthew to prove his worth on the screen. And he didn't impress in previous rounds. There's everything to play for tonight. I mean, literally, 
everything to play for. And Matthew, for me, is our worst player of the three on this challenge. He is flying wildly on this. He has no control of this ship. Now, I'm not saying that Cybermorph is a perfect game where you have loads of control of your ship, because you don't. It does handle like a battleship. But he has almost no control of this whatsoever. And because of his erratic playing, he misses huge clusters of these uh, Tide Pods that he's trying to pick up. He gets like two at the start, and then there's one on the left-hand side. But because he's going too quick, he flies straight down the middle. And then there's a moment when he like flies over loads of them. And at the end of this, he is very, very lucky to get 10 remaining. So he is tied in second place. But when you think about those ones that he missed because of his poor control, he probably should have won this. Just a little bit more control, a little bit more awareness. He'd have walked away with this laughing. But as it is, as you said, 10 pods remaining. What does that do for us on the scoreboards? Right, so the Mega Maniacs and the Homicide Hawks drew in that heat. That means they've got two points each, but out in front of the moment with a massive five points is the Elite Three. Now, this is very exciting, isn't it? Because the Elite Three have got five points, which in previous versions of the team championships would almost guarantee them entry into the finals, but we are doing things slightly differently here. And we've got joint second place. Oh, that adds some real entry going into our next challenge. And as you said earlier, no reviews. The team championship final is too important to have reviews. And if you're going to usurp reviews for a challenge, I mean, Luke, it's got to be for some dynamite wizard gung-ho game that's really going to impress us. I I mean, it better bloody be. Games Master, what are we playing? For my next challenge, I've selected the very handsome and high-tech beat-em-up Rise of the Robots for the PC. Our contestants must smash their opponents in a single round of metal-busting fighting action. Clever tactics are required in this awesome clash of the titans. As a blow delivered when the blue power gauge is at full capacity can make all the difference between victory and failure. I'll award five points to the winner of each bout and zero to the losers. Oh, Oh, bollocks. Yeah, unfortunately, like, I, I mean, we knew it was coming, right? Like, because they've, they've talked it up so much, this whole series. It had to be here in the finals. But good crikey, this game is bad. When are we going to get to the firework factory? When are we <laughs> get to the firework factory? The firework factory is a damp Catherine wheel. That's oh, the man. sort of reality we're facing here. And we're not even playing like one of the versions that's kind of designed with a console controller in mind. We're playing the bloody PC version, probably because it was the only one ready. That's got to be an awkward way of playing this game. However, I may have a potentially more awkward way of playing this. If you're one of our Patreon backers and you listened or watched our most recent uh, community podcast, Under Console Nation, you will know that I have now got myself uh, an RG351V. So a nice little like the retro handheld console thing that you can emulate games on and stuff. It's very, very cool. I'm very, very happy to have it. I was looking for Rise of the Robots on there because I wanted to play it ahead of doing this record so I could get a bit more of a feel for the game again because I haven't played it in so long. I was like, I'm going to go find on this. The only version of Rise of the Robots that is available on this one when you get the uh, SD card as standard is the Game Gear version. (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought you were going to say Game Boy, and I was kind of psyching myself up with a line, but no, Game Gear blindsided me. <laughs> but Luke, how yeah. does it play? Like absolute dog shit, Tash. It was fucking <laughs> awful. Oh, Luke, uh, guess what? What, Ash? There was a Jaguar CD version in development. It didn't get released. <laughs> of course it didn't. Oh, oh, man. And, like, Games Master as well is, like, this awesome game. We get awesome graphics. It's awesome this and it's awesome that. Like, the hype train is real for this game. I'm not going to say it looks like utter shit because the graphics are quite nice and I think some of the 3D modeling is quite nice, but, ooh, man alive, when these lads start playing this game, it is stiff as an 18-year-old lad who's just found Babe Station for the first time. It is. <laughs> Thank you. Pretty sure that's the sound they made too. It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Luke's on fire. <laughs> Dude, this game is so clunky. It says a lot when normally, doesn't matter how bad the challenge actually is, the footage that they show while Games Master is giving the challenge looks good. No. Nope. In fact, my one word summary upon the reveal of what this challenge was, was the word Kadoodle do. <laughs> I just wrote in all caps. Oh no. <laughs> it's a round robin, so five points to the winner of each bout, zero to the loser, and possibly therapy to all of them after the challenge, because good God. I have very few notes for all three of these fights. Because like it's it's Paul of the Hawks versus Russell of the Mega Maniacs first. Russell is playing as Cyborg and Paul is playing as the military droid. By the way, those are the only two characters that are available for them to play, and they essentially just keep switching between the two of them. This is why I think the PC version was the one chosen to be used, because it was the easiest to compile and get running with the two characters that were ready. And this game never was really finished properly. Well, no, do you remember we had that um, magazine where it was like, we played a Rise of the Robots at CES, and once it's finished, there could be every chance that it's got, clearly what we were playing was unfinished. So by the time it's released, it'll probably be really quite good. And I think you and I said at the time, they were probably playing a very finished version of it. Yeah. As the challenge begins, Dave says that both competitors are sizing each other up. And my note says, nope, they just move that badly. Yeah. I think that Paul is good because Games Master talks about the blue bar tactic, which is like you can charge up this sort of blue bar thing. And if you then get the hit right, it's a one hit kill. And I think Paul is trying to go for that. I mean, I've written that down, but it could just be that he did not know how to control the character or was like really struggling with it. Because my notes read here, God, this looks stiff. Paul is looking for the blue bar tactic. Paul wins and it looked like shit. Paul wins despite this game being this game. We then get Matthew of the Elite 3 versus Russell of the Mega Maniac. So Russell is now playing as the military droid. Lots of missed kicks. Russell wins. It looked like shit. And they say they're changing who's playing as who to make it fair, but we've had two fights so far and the military droid has won on both of them. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it feels like military droid's meant to be the rubbish one because like Cyborg's like the main character. He looks like a bootleg Silver Surfer. Oh yeah, that's yeah, he does, doesn't he? It, it's Roger Corman's Silver Surfer. It's that kind of <laughs> low budget. And our final round is Paul of the Humberside Hawks versus Matthew of the Elite Three. So Paul is now playing as Cyborg and he does the same tactic he did last time, which is crouching and waiting for the blue bar. This time it works. He gets the one hit kill. It looked like shit. Can you imagine if this had been the final challenge? Oh, absolutely. And it almost feels like it would have been as well. I'm glad they changed tags for the, the second half of this show. Yeah, I, I wonder if, yeah, this was going to be the final and it turned up and they went, we will be lynched. 
if yeah. we put this out as the final challenge. But we've got to put it on there because it's part of you know the deal that we've got with this company. It is a bad challenge. This was a bad challenge. It's not the player's fault. No, no, not not in the slightest. Not the player's fault at all. It was a bad game. Their hand was forced into using it. They were lied to by PR people. They were lied to by developers. <laughs> they didn't even have the bloody Brian May music because Brian May's agent saw how shit this was going to be and withheld his music in the end. I was so confident that Elf Mania was going to be our worst fighting challenge of the team championships. But this beats it a hand over fist. But, you know, there were a lot of points were at stake there. So how has that affected the scores? The Elite Three, unfortunately, they didn't get none on that last challenge, but they got five on the first one, so they got five overall. The Mega Maniacs, they did a bit better. They got five on the last challenge, two on the challenge before. That means they got seven overall. But in first position is the Hawks. They got ten on that challenge. They got two on the last challenge, so they've got 12 overall. I'm really glad we had that check in there because, I'll be honest, I found that challenge so boring, I genuinely <laughs> forgot what the scores were at. And so, oh, no, Luke. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, the Elite Three are going home. Oh, my heart bleeds. Yeah, like, as we, well, I said earlier, that usually five points would guarantee you entry into the finals. That's what we've seen throughout the, uh, the, all of these team championships. But because of the round-robin aspect of it, and then because their boy Matthew was absolutely pony at this crap game, they got no points whatsoever. So they've only got the five they got from the first round. Humberside Hawks won both of their fights, racking up 10 points. And the Mega Maniacs won one to get five points to get them over to, into seven. So the Elite Three are out. Uh, it's always bad news when a team gets knocked out, especially in the final. Liam, do you want to say anything? Not really. No, I'm not surprised. No. No, well, they're stunned in the submission. Not surprised. Didn't they do well, lads, coming out of the team? Yeah, give them a cheer, eh? Yeah. We don't like to send anyone away empty-handed, especially not in the final, so we're going to give them a Gage Master Golden Joystick at least. Don't you think that's the least we can do? And post-match, none of them want to say anything. They honestly look like they might cry. Oh, Luke, can you imagine being sent home crying from the Games Master Team Championships? I mean, can you imagine being sent home crying? I'm sure glad that they, at no point in their previous performances, said they were going to send another team home crying, because otherwise the irony would just be too damn delicious. Liam in particular looks fuming, like so maddingly upset that they're out because they've got nothing to say. It's like, no, no, no. They feel like proper sore losers here. I'll be honest, if I lost on Rise of the Robots, I'd feel like a sore <laughs> loser as well. Regardless of my feelings on this team, if I went out because of this game, I'd quit video games, take up jigsaw puzzles. I would just quit video games completely. There's no coming back from that indignity. Although they do all get a regular Games Master Golden Joystick for getting that far, which that's not bad. It's not bad at all, you know. I mean, in the majors of the finals. Yeah, I mean, that's a couple of grand on eBay nowadays. That's, that's not <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Liam looks like a proper sore loser. Typical Liverpool fan. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed Dex then being like, oh, turns out I don't like it when people lose. Oh. <laughs> He does know it's a competition, yeah? You know, I've actually discovered that I don't like it when people lose, but oh well, it's the final, and there's two more teams. One of them's going to get knocked out, and one of them's going to win. You're going to see what happens in the second half, so don't go too far away. We'll see you in a minute. Bye. Nestle Clusters. Crispy whole wheat flakes with chunks of walnuts, pecans and almonds combined in delicious nuggets. So nutty, 
chances are you won't be the only one to appreciate it. If you like nuts, you'll love Nestle Clusters. Some of you believe your system is the most advanced in the universe. Let's review the numbers. Sega Genesis is 16 bits. 3DO is 32 bits. The Atari Jaguar is 64 bits. Which is more advanced? Clifford! Hmm? With 64 bits, 3D graphics, real-world animation, and lightning speed that you can only get with Jaguar. Which is more advanced? Clifford! Can you repeat the question? Jaguar! 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 I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Rise of the Robots explodes onto Super NES. 32 megs of cyborg combat. Revolutionary 3D graphics. Rise of the Robots for Super NES from Acclaim. Smoother than a puma cheating at backgammon. Heineken export, as recommended by your smooth-talking bar steward. Ah, welcome back. Right, we've got two teams left in our Games Master Team Championship final. Here they are, it's the Humber Hawks and the Mega Maniacs. Right, what we're going to do here is we're going to wipe the slate clean. We've got three challenges left. These two teams are going to battle it out for the winning position. Right, we come back from the ad break. The slate has been wiped clean. So the scores from the first half were basically just to get yourselves into the final two for the final, the final finals of the Team Championship finals. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Dex says, there are still three more challenges to play. I was like, frigging hell, we're packing this episode, aren't we? The celebrity challenge is gone, which is probably just as well, because after the last couple of weeks' worth of celebrities, I'm not sure how much lower they could go on the barrel. Well, we were supposed to be playing football for West Ham today, but they gave us the day off. But both the teams get a big cheer. The Mega Maniacs say the Humber Hawks have to face reality. The sooner they do, the sooner they can go home. The Hawks say they've gotten this far. They're not going out now. They're a bit more confident in this. I think the atmosphere behind them and the crowd has kind of like given them a bit of Dutch courage. Indeed, yeah. And so they're both determined. But what is the challenge? First up is on the super speedy Sonic CD for the Sega Mega CD. The contestant who races to the end of the level in the quickest time shall strike the first blow. 
Your teams are relying on you. Don't let them down. This is a bit tasty, isn't it? So these are all games that they've picked themselves to play, and they're playing Sonic CD, which we actually haven't had as a challenge on this show yet. Um, and it's racing through Palm Tree Panic in the quickest time possible. Yes, please. I love this. I love that this is a challenge that we're kind of resetting the bar with because this is classic Games Master. This is like the sort of thing we had back in Series 1 with Sonic the Hedgehog 1. Right, Sam and Hawks is up first. Dave, anything to say about Sam? Well, both these guys have proved themselves over and over again in their heats. And what better way to reward them than with the cream of platform game Sonic CD? I don't think I'm going to say anything more. Let's let the consoles do the talking. It's interesting as well that Dave says that this is like the cream of platform games. Even though he wasn't massively keen on it when it got reviewed earlier in Series 3. The only thing you've got to look forward to is a Mario Kart rip-off driving section. I mean, not out of 10 for originality, Sega. Poor Sam looks so tired. Like, when they cut to him, he's like, like rubbing his eyes like he's really, really sleepy to play the game. I reckon it's the smoke in the room. They're kind of like, <laughs> they've got the fake smoke in the room and that shit can irritate. Yeah, dry ice everywhere. He gets the speed boost, like, uh, and I really love this because there's a wonderful bit like misdirect from the uh, the commentators because he's running along, he goes up the little ramp thing, and like, woohoo, and he flies over. Then he stops and he starts running backwards. And Dave and Dex go, as he races up into the sky, he's facing in the wrong direction. No, he's not, he knew there were red slippers there. He knew the red slippers were hidden there. Hang about, where's he going? That's not the way to go. And there's actually a speed boost at the end of there. And like Dave's like, he knew there was a speed boost there. Oh, this is what you love to see from games playing. And then I proper laughed because he kept calling them speed slippers. That does sound like 90s drug lingo. You got any speed <laughs> slippers? But yeah, he picks up the speed boost shoes and he is flying. Gunning it. Oh my God, this is so quick. It's not a flawless run. He does make a few mistakes. He takes the he takes a pathway, kind of a hidden pathway, but realistically, while it does speed you up, it actually just kind of like takes you round the houses a bit and you don't really get that much further. You do have some distance, but it would have been quicker to run that distance as opposed to take the route. So yeah, it, it did like it felt like a bit of a mistake to take it, but I honestly I think he took it by accident. Probably took it just like out of muscle memory more mm. than anything from when he plays it regularly because you're playing it regularly doesn't make any difference he also does hit a bad nick kudos to him for recovering from that because that could have so easily been game over at that point but he makes it past the finish line 34.68 seconds he seemed very very pleased with that because he knew that level and while it wasn't exactly textbook playing it was pretty good yeah absolutely and it sets a good time for robert of the Mega Maniacs to beat as he's oh, up next. No. Yeah. Dave thinks it's a tough time to beat, and Robert gets off to a good start. He uses yeah. the turbo boost as well, and off he goes. He also gets the ruby slippers, and then he hits the wall and the invisible platform, and oh dear. Yeah. It goes wrong. Bring it up to right. That's it. He's on the invisible wall. No! Oh, no, he can't get up. He's, oh, he's wasting so much time. That's it. I'm going to tell you that's it. He's out of the challenge. It doesn't matter what he does. He's not going to beat the time now. It's a matter of nerves. He's playing for pride. He's going to have to go through for pride. Come on, Robert. Just complete it. Just complete it for pride. Oh, and once it goes wrong, it all goes wrong on these games. Let's have a big cheer for Robert. This goes so nipples north for him so quickly as well. Like, 
it got off to such a good start and it so quickly just falls apart. And I have never heard so much compassion from Dave Perry because he sounds heartbroken for the lads, like really properly gutted for him because he's just like, it's all over. It's like the Christmas episode all over again when they got stuck on the Alfred Chicken Springs. Like you just can't get there. And like Dave's like, you got to write him off at this point. It's heartbreaking to see in the final. And then because he eventually like gives up on that hidden platform thing and he tries to run through and then he hits a spring that bounces him miles back. And it's just that you can feel like the, the air being sucked out of the room. The crowd go really quiet because they can all feel how sad this is becoming. And it is, yeah, one of the most heartbreaking moments I've, we've had on Games Master so far. It's also especially galling because he doesn't even get to complete the level. Like once he gets past 35 seconds, they're just like, nope, we're just going to cut this here because we don't have time. And really, what's the point? He was just trying to complete it for dignity at that point, And yeah. there was no dignity left for him. Yeah, really, really unfortunate. So that is a win in the column there for the Humberside Hawks. So we could end the tournament very, very quickly with this next challenge because if the Hawks win the next one, that's it. It's game over for the Mega Maniac. So Games Master, what are we playing? Street Fighter 2 Turbo for the Super Nintendo is the next and possibly final challenge in this championship. One team must take two rounds off their opponents to win. Oh, now I do have a soft spot for the consultation zone, but if you're going to dethrone the consultation zone, then do it for Street Fighter 2 Turbo on the SNES. To steal your line, yes, please. Oh, it's a bit of a favourite of Series 3 as well, isn't it? Like, they've bloody loved showing Street Fighter 2 Turbo on this show. And also, what a great way to do it. We've got none of that unbalanced fighter from earlier with Rise of the Robot with the Blue Meanie versus the Forklift or whatever it was. We've got Ryu versus Ken, best two out of three. This is core Street Fighter. Ryu and Ken at this point are very evenly matched. It's a palette swap at this point for the most part. It just means it's the perfect fight because it purely comes down to the skill of the player. I love as well Dave calling this the gamer's game because it does feel like like it is the game of the moments, you know, for, for all of the Series 3 record, whereas like it's this and Mortal Kombat are the games that are on everyone's lips at the moment. But it's Stuart of the Mega Maniacs uh, versus Matthew of the Humberside Hawks as uh, Ryu. Stuart is Ken. Ken here, or Stuart, you know, of the Mega Maniacs, has got a tactic. And that tactic is jump and hard kick, crouch and hard kick. He pulls it off pretty much to perfection. Like there's one point when uh, he stuns Matthew of the Humber Hawks and he tries to go for a dragon punch, but does not do the button combination correctly. So he just does a hard punch. And he's like, well, I guess I'll just go for the jumping hard kick, sweeping low kick again. That'll do me and I'll I'll win the first round. Thank you very much. It wasn't a bad way to win a round at that point in time. You try and do that in competitive Street Fighter now, you're going to be mullered. Absolutely mm-hmm. rice pudding. There are a lot of easy ways out of it. I was a little disappointed that Matthew didn't find a way out of it. But yeah, it's a valid tactic to win that first round. The second round begins... It is kind of unfortunately, while well executed, the first round all over again. But it was still perfectly competent Street Fighter playing, particularly from Stuart, who knew what he was doing. He had a tactic. He knew how to execute it. For the most part, he kind of box rushed Matthew. 
he didn't give him much time. He just leapt straight in there, didn't let up. He got him cornered. He got him dizzied. But the most important thing about this, Luke, regardless of how valid the tactics are, Stuart won the fight, which means the Mega Maniacs are still in it. We're on to that third and final challenge. Dave makes the point as well, because he's talking about, you know, the repetition that he's doing of these jumping kicks and low kicks. And he said, you know what? It's not always about the special moves. This is a good tactic. And I'm going to slightly agree with Dave here, not just because, you know, it's a good tactic for this point, but actually what Stuart is doing is taking advantage of the fact that Matthew does not know how to counter it. Like Matthew, for whatever reason, never blocks it, even though Stuart does it again and again and again and again and again. He never tries to block it. So if you can take advantage of that, all the power to you. It's the bloody finals of the team championships. Yeah, I might have tried to do it with a little bit more flair, but there would have been more room for error and therefore more chance it might get countered or might go wrong. Exactly, yeah. As someone who has uh, played Street Fighter 2, I think it was in fact Turbo actually, he's played Street Fighter 2 Turbo in front of an audience at an event where they were showing Street Fighter the movie and then they would block it. They would stop it for when the fights came on screen and they would switch over to a SNES and people would from the audience would go up and play it. I did a fight as Bison and I tried to be too flash with it, tried to show off that I knew what I was doing. And I got absolutely schooled by that because the person playing me was just jumping kicks, crouching hard kicks. And I got completely schooled by it because I was there trying to do psycho crushes. Really, I should have done the simple thing and won in front of the audience. You got trigger happy, Luke. Just got trigger happy. Yeah, you did a bit. Yeah, I did a bit. Uh, but I guess that means that we have got one final challenge here of Series 3. What on earth could it be, Games Master? The deciding challenge of this nail-biting championship is on the classic soccer sim, Striker for the Super Nintendo. Two halves of goal-scoring action will determine who shall call themselves the Games Master Team I want an honourable match. It's in your hands now. Oh, goodness, that challenge we didn't really get to talk about in uh, episode 24. I'm a little sad we didn't get FIFA. I wrote the exact same note. But they would have had more time to play Striker. That's exactly it. Maybe that's why. I do want to say, just before we went to Games Master for the challenge, there was a handshake between the two competitors at the end of the Street Fighter challenge. And I like that. It showed that, you know, unlike some teams that were sent home possibly to cry earlier... They understand sportsmanship. Indeed, yeah. There's been a lot of camaraderie here. Um, I No, I agreed with you on the point you made about FIFA. And I, I was like, yeah, I kind of wish this was FIFA because it is the game of the moment. But really, like, that what came out late last year. They probably filmed this in November last year. So they might have played it when they had it for the FIFA tournament that we had at the start of the team championship with Vinnie Jones and Les Ferdinand. But yeah, they probably are more familiar with Striker than they are anything else. The final challenge is Striker on the SNES. I've been chatting so much, my voice is gone. This is the final challenge of the series. It decides the championship. The team that wins this, well, they've won the whole final, the mega prizes and everything. Dave, do you want to say anything about the teams, the guys who are playing? I have got nothing to say. I just want to say, good luck, guys. Thanks for making an entertaining series. Let's just get it on. And poor Dex and Dave at this point, they've lost it. They've lost their voice completely. Dex is hoarse. Dave is hoarse. They've got nothing to say at this point. Let's just get it on. It's England versus Germany, a more iconic final match you will not get. Yeah, and it's Paul of the Humberside Hawks versus... Our Star Trek fan, Russell, of the Mega Maniacs. So I'm really rooting for Russell in this one. And boom, scores straight away. Absolutely 
brilliant, brilliant start here for Russell. And this challenge is so much more back and forth than I ever thought it would have been. Because like it's maybe not so much in the first half because Germany very do they have a two nil lead by the end of that first half. But it's not like England don't do anything because they're off the woodwork twice. Like after after Germany scored, they are off the woodwork, and then that's when Germany score again. England's biggest mistake in the first half they had was they had an odd free kick. What I think they were going for was rather than aim it at the goal, they were trying to shoot it off to the side. Because with striker, if you shoot from like a 45 degree angle at the goal, you're almost always going to score. That's what Dave was talking about on commentary. So I think he was trying to set it up for someone to collect and do the shot, but it does not work. See, you're much more forgiving on the first half than I was because my note said, this is very realistic. England are wasting a number of opportunities on goal and Germany are responding by scoring. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. But in the second half, England make their comeback to to a degree because they score right at the whistle. And Dex says, Now comes the high enough good challenge. Is that Liz Ferdinand? That was Liz Ferdinand. Ferdinand. Ferdinand rattles one in for England. Kind of adorable, really, isn't it? It's like, (laughs) oh, Les, I met Les Ferdinand once. (laughs) The tension's cranking up a bit now because England are on the scoreboard. Germany are only one goal ahead. Germany do try and score again. The first shot is saved. The second shot results in a corner. And that eventually translates into another goal and with 13 seconds left it's 3-1 then England score again and it's 3-2 oh this is good game playing oh the tension really ramps up in those final few moments that corner by the way that Germany took was butt ugly and a proper cock up and they really saved that to get that goal and like when he scores Russell gives like a proper yes it was uh, you. I can you feel the passion in there, and then yeah, when England like basically respond right away and score again, he kind of goes back into that. Uh oh, I'm leading, but it, I, it's not a safe and comfortable lead like I once had. But what follows with mere <laughs> seconds left on the clock? You say mere seconds. It's ten seconds. It's arguably the funniest moment of series three, and unfortunately. It's not deliberate. The easiest way to cover it is just to play you the clip. Come on, guys, let's see it. It's not long left. They think it's all over. Germany's There's people on the pitch. Oh, it is, mate. No, it's not. It's a goal kick. Germany racing forward. Germany make another shot. It's the mega maniacs. England making it I don't know what Dave Perry was thinking. Like, I get what he was going for. But dude, there were 10 seconds left on the clock. I'm wondering if he just misunderstood how long 10 seconds actually is, because I've had that. You know, you think, oh, it's only 10 seconds, and then you actually count 10 seconds. It's like, oh, I didn't realise 10 seconds was so long. That that, that that took a lot longer, you know, than I expected. Yeah. He should have rehearsed it. If he was thinking of doing it, he should have rehearsed it with a stopwatch and just gone, okay, I need to start this with five seconds left. Because, yeah, he just absolutely bitched the <laughs> delivery. Thankfully, it doesn't take away from the fact that in arguably one of the best football challenges we've had as part of the team championships, the mega maniacs as Germany, they take the title, they take the prizes, they take the crusty joysticks. And I was overjoyed with the way this final match played out. But also, as I kind of said at the beginning of the episode, I was immediately a bit sad. Yeah, particularly when Dex and Dave 
thank each other for everything that they've sort of done for each other in all of this, I genuinely did get a pang of emotion that this is it. Mega Maniacs, you were mega and you were maniacs. Did you have a good time? Absolutely, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. chuffed with it? Absolutely, it's a good Right, oh, I've got to tell you, you were the game guru, Dave Perry's uh, favourites for the championship. Understandably, really, isn't it? Understandably so. Right, give her a bitch here! Yeah! Right, all the way. Bit. They won the Philips CDI, they won the Atari Jaguar, they won the PC with the real magic card, which they must give away, incidentally. Go on, what's your charitable cause is going to get this PC? Plume School Malden. Plume School Malden, you just got a result! Right, these are the runners-up, the Humberside Hawks. They did really well. Did you have a good time, guys? Brilliant fun. Yeah? And what do you think of the standard of this team here, then, eh? Just, well, just a bit better. Just a bit much. better. <laughs> well, our other team chat as well. You, had, you give us a great time. You give us a great competition. We really do appreciate it. I like Dexter's line where he's like, Bloom School and Morden, you just got a result. Quality. <laughs> Dex then turns to the Humberside Hawks, who admit the Maniacs were just a bit better. And the Hawks got a nice round of applause as well, because really, they deserve it. Whatever I said about the Elite Three earlier, all three teams deserve applause because they played through some god-awful challenges and made it this far. We've got a Channel 4 bigwig, Mr Mike Miller. He's over there. Yeah. Thanks very much. Now, Gamesmaster comes under the heading of sport and Mike's in charge of sport for Channel 4. Tell me, what did you think of the championship, Mike? It was megamongous. Yeah. And then we get a cameo from Mike Miller of Channel 4 and a lovely camo jacket. Now, Mike Miller at this point was kind of the head of Channel 4 Sports. I'm not sure how that translates into army fatigues, but we'll let him roll with it. Maybe he saw Dex's kind of boiler suit, jumpsuit thing and thought, well, I'm going to get in on the action. Plus, it was 1993. It was 1994. Well, it was recorded in 1993. True. Anyway, he didn't actually stay with Channel 4 for that much longer. He actually went to the BBC to become the head of sport there. And that's where things went a bit awry. When he was in the BBC he lost a bunch of rights to broadcast sport. He lost the BBC the rights to broadcast UEFA football. Did he? He's the lad that lost them there. Yeah. He'd been there nine months, and in that time, he lost the UEFA football broadcast rights and other events and faced allegations that Mr Miller had abused his position by travelling to international sporting events such as the US Super Bowl, which he claimed was just as part of his job. Oh, dear. Nowadays, the BBC do show the Super Bowl, or the Superb Owl, to give it its proper name. We have been invited to a highly exclusive event. We will be spending this Sunday evening at our neighbour Sean's Superb Owl Party. Vampires have huge respect for owls. One, they're nocturnal. Two, they're predators. And three, they don't give a hoot where they dump their scat. The party we're going to is celebrating the superb owl, who is the greatest owl of all time. Do you think we're going to get to touch its little beak? Depends what mood he's in. But yeah, so this guy's career, not exactly sparkling throughout. But Dex asks him what he thought of the championship. (laughs) (laughs) Say the word. Say the word. Say the line, Bart. Was Megamongus. I did laugh at this. It reminded me of, and this is very much a niche wrestling uh, reference if our listeners are not wrestling fans, but the Vinnie Jones, it's been emotional! Of just like, say the line, will ya? And he was just like, mega-mungus. Which also proves he didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. And this is our special jewel-encrusted games whilst the golden joystick. Each member of the winning team gets one of them as well. Our runners-up get some golden joysticks, but the winners 
get their jewel-encrusted Games Master Golden Joysticks. Now, they only hand one of them out, and Tex goes, don't worry, all three of them will get their own one, which says to me there was only one at the time. And the Mega Maniacs look overjoyed, but we then kind of cut to Dex. Okay, well, there's not much more for me to say than bye-bye. I've had a great time. The Woo! team championship has been really good. I should think we'll be doing it again. See it again. Yeah, this team will be back, yeah? Great stuff, all right? Well, what can I say? But over to the Games Master for the final word. Thanks for watching. See ya. I can't tell at this point if he's saying goodbye for good or yeah. saying goodbye because it's just the end of the season. I had that same thought as well because it does feel like both. It feels very much just like a, this is the closing of the series. Um, you know, thanks for watching. I've had a really nice time. You know, are we going to do this again? And Mike Miller's like, yeah, no, definitely. I think we'll do this again. And it does sort of feel like, you know, just a, a wrap up to the series. But with the benefit of hindsight and knowing that he isn't going to be back and this is the last we're going to see of him, it does also feel like a fond farewell. Now, we're going to keep a lot of this back for the Series 3 wrap-up episode, but I have found a couple of interviews where Dex talks a little bit about Games Master. This was from when Rocketman came out. He doesn't go into it in depth, but I do now have a bit of an understanding as to why he won't go into it in depth. But we'll save that for next week's episode. Whatever Dex thinks of his time on Games Master, and whatever a lot of other people think of his era of Games Master, I am kind of sad to see him go. I've always had a soft spot for Dexter Fletcher. If you're a Patreon backer, you've already heard our episode on Press Gang. And spoilers for those of you that haven't joined our Patreon yet, we bloody loved it. Oh, yeah, it was really, really good. Oh, yeah. And even here, whilst it was very much a character he was playing and a job that he was doing at very short notice for various reasons, I didn't dislike him for being him. I disliked some of the editing and production choices. Yep. Him kind of saying goodbye here, it it made me a little sad. Although he doesn't get the last word of the series. It gives me great pleasure to thank all the teams who have taken part in this ultimate celebration of games being still. My hearty congratulations to this year's winner. Now, mark my words, after a well-earned rest, I'll begin the search again for the world's greatest game. And it's not going to be a long break that we you know we've had longer breaks in between series it's only a handful of months really before games masters back on our screens and i think a much shorter gap than the gap between series two and series three yeah oh easily yeah but i will say that i watched this episode and the first episode of series four back to back because i was just in i was in a note-taking mode i had a bit of time on my hands and bloody hell that is quite the gear change series four is a very very not just different to series two, but so wildly different to series three. I keep going back to what Dominic said uh, during the interview we did with him for the Games Master book about series four. Season four is raw, unadulterated me. And I think season four is pretty shit as a result. <laughs> and we're gonna and we've put that audio clip in then because then it's definitely his words and not ours. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the gear change, much as I actually ended up enjoying the gear change that we got for Series 3. But Luke, that was the final of the team championships. We have our champions. What did you think of the episode? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Like, it was weird not having the review zone 
It was weird not having the consultation zone. It was weird not having a celebrity challenge. But I absolutely loved it. I, I loved pretty much all of the chat. Like, obviously, Rise of the Robots was toilets, and Cybermorph is not a great game. But, like, putting my mind into, uh, you know, the March, April time of 1994, I probably would have been, like, you know, mesmerized by the whole thing because it probably would have looked like the future of games. And I think the second half of the show is so much stronger when they're playing games that they're more comfortable with, a lot like the semifinals, that when they're playing games that they know, they're a lot better at them. And so I really, really like that second half. The Sonic CD challenge was great. The Street Fighter challenge was really good. And that striker finale, it was wicked. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was nail-biting stuff. And it had this whole, like, the, the presentation of the whole thing had this real end-of-school term feel about it. I thought that Dex and Dave were on, like, real fire and fall. Like, the pair of them losing their voices, like, for the final challenge. Like, it just shows, like, a lot of, like, passion for all of this. I may not have loved the team championships overall, but I very much enjoyed the final. Yeah, this was a great episode. And I think shows that, yeah, they should have gone for an hour long for the team championships because then you could have had this amount of time to the team championships every week and the news, reviews and consultations on a celebrity challenge could have taken up the extra 15, 20 minutes. But I'm not sure the confidence was there in the show. Even if Dominic hadn't left, I don't think the confidence would have been there to go, let's do an hour long. And it's a shame. I think it speaks as to how much fun this episode was, that despite the fact that we started with Cybermorph and then followed with Rise of the Robots, I loved this episode. Yeah. That should have been a death blow. That should have been an absolute game over for this episode to start with two such kind of turkeys but Dex and Dave and those video packages from the team as mildly cringe as some of them were it just lifted everything up and it made it feel special and even though those first two games were dog eggs they were special dog eggs at the time they were exactly right yeah they were white dog eggs that's how (laughs) special they were you don't see them often and about the only negative I've got to say about this is the consultation zone does give us kind of that bit extra of Patrick Moore doing bits and doing kind of little jibes and stuff. And realistically, apart from at the end, all we saw Patrick Moore this time round was just going, this is a challenge, good luck. That's that's about the only negative I've got about this episode. What are you thinking percentage-wise? I mean, I, I think it has to be in the 90s category for me early 90s i can't go much higher than than that i don't think but i think it's got to be in the 90s because if you're looking at it from sort of like not just a games playing perspective but just from an overall enjoyment i think it's my favorite episode of series three easily it's probably my favorite episode of series three it's definitely my favorite of the team championships and i think my highest score there was 93 percent so i'm gonna go 94 percent i think for this episode I was going to give it 95. Oh, wow. I, cool. I I love this episode. The saddest note I've got, actually, I suppose, is I wish more of the team championship had been like this. Yes, abs- I could not agree with you more. This episode really was like a, oh, this is what this was supposed to be. You should have had those intros for every team during the heat. Then you could just do a recap in the final of going... This is the Humberside Hawks. 
in the heat they did this in the semi-final they did this you don't need to give us the background about who's got a girlfriend who likes cooking and whose nickname is flopsy or whatever it was because that was done in the heats yeah so yeah so no 95 percent for me because this is genuinely a great set of challenges with a lot of tension a lot of back and forth and even when the gameplay isn't quite as sparkling there's still something to it like when the sonic cd challenge goes tits up that's emotion that's heartbreaking yeah because it's such an easy mistake to make and if you make it once you panic you make it again and it's exactly what you see play out now i'm not saying this is like shakespearean drama but there's tension to it mm-hmm. yeah it perceives well because you can imagine he didn't do that in rehearsals he no. did not do that during the day both of them when playing that sonic cd challenge had their roots known and all it was was one mistimed jump yep Oh, it's heartbreaking stuff. But yeah, I, I've, I've very much enjoyed that episode. And it was quite a lovely little cherry on top of the Series 3 Sunday. And I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode. It's also going to wrap it up for Series 3 as a whole. It is fair to say the Games Academy is closed and school is out <laughs> very nice and i think that's going to wrap it up for us thank you all so much for listening uh, you all rule each and every single one of you if you want to get in touch with us we are on twitter at under console pod we're on instagram at under dot console and you can send us an email at feedback at under and if you want to get in on some of that live chat real-time interaction with us and a bunch of other under consultation listeners you can join our discord where we have had a many and varied conversation. Topics of the past day have included Gamer Boy Bathwater, Fatboy Slim's weapon of choice, and retro fun for everyone showing off his latest purchases. Mm, very, very nice indeed. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over on our Patreon, where we have got a lot of exclusive stuff behind that Patreon paywall. You will get access to Under Consultation Extra, which is basically this show... But for other TV programs from the 1990s and the 1980s, we've done Nightmare, we've done Finders Keepers, Funhouse. Recently, as we talked about in this show, did Press Gang, starring Dexter Fletcher, which we very much enjoyed. We've also done The Real Ghostbusters. You'll also get access to our monthly community show, Under Console Nation, where Ash and I, for about an hour or so, just chat the breeze and have a conversation with people. We do it as a live stream on YouTube, so you can join us there and have a chat with us. And we answer your questions about various types of topics. And if you back us at the £5 level, you get next week's episode, which will be our Series 3 wrap-up, one week early and ad-free. And at the £10 level, you get a little extra bonus. What do they get, Ash? That little extra bonus is the Patreon bonus pack. That includes a special limited edition Patreon-exclusive mug, and in that mug, you will find badges, stickers, retro sweeties, retro trading cards, and £5 off our Under Consultation t-shirt. This t-shirt, along with other badges, stickers, and mugs, can be bought at our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout-out to our £10 backers, Xander Thol, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich Retro Fund for Everyone, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jason, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Colin, Clit. Cliff, Carol, Adam Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Thank you to every single person who has listened to this show. We will see you next week for our Series 3 wrap-up, including all of your feedback on Series 3. I'm so looking forward to hearing everyone's feedback for Series 3. I'm really, really curious to, to see what people thought of it. 
I think this could be our most polarizing set of feedback we'll ever get. But we'll find out in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Mega Mongus. <laughs> catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.